20 minutes it is after 7 p.m. Yeah, we kick things off by taking a look at the latest in the world of money and power. Joining me to uh, take a look at the latest uh, out in the world of business is Snesipo Maninjwa, independent market commentator, analyst and CA. Snesipo, good evening and welcome. Um, evening, Aya. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Unjan? I'm all right, my much. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I want us to start off in Indonesia, out uh, in places like Jakarta. Uh, as I said, when we started, I mean, the country led by one Jokowi Dodo. Um, and uh, they are certainly a big part, I guess, of uh, palm oil production across the length and breadth of the world. And in many ways, uh, one of the big push factors that is leading to a surge in food prices globally. What's the latest here and why, I, I guess, can we all breathe a sigh of relief? Okay, so um, globally there's been an increase in the price uh, from a commodity perspective of palm oil. Mm. Um, as your earlier tweet uh, alerted, palm oil is used in almost in multiple, in multiple um, applications and the Indonesian government announced that they would be uh, banning exports. And they'd be banning exports mainly because of increase in food prices. By the way, I think it's something that our country might consider doing as well. Mm. Because fundamentally... For which commodity? For, for which commodity? What? Sunflower oil? Fish oil? No. Um, um, I, I would say we're just for wheat. Oh, right? okay. All right. I do. I, I fundamentally, I, I agree in principle with what they were doing. Now, when they announced this, it did two things. It, number one, increased the price further of palm oil because from an Indonesian from a supply perspective, they supply about a third of the world. So it, it, it increased the price. And number two, it sort of increased fears of more price food increase because it's such, it's literally used in chocolate, pizza, toothpaste. Yeah which ultimately, on top of the global supply um, and shortage that we had as well as COVID, was going to cause more supply constraints in the market and make food more expensive. You've seen, I think we've seen the impact of um, the rising oil price and the price of fertilizer, which has also resulted in an increase in uh, food prices as well, um, just as a comparative. But ultimately, so they revised, uh, the Indonesian government revised uh, their statement to be more specific that 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 the specific export ban is only going is is is, is um is limited and it's, and they're going to allow some key palm oil exports to still continue to still continue that was sort of like the outcome that they had um and and it, 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 it's literally. Like they just said, they only hold exports of bulk and packaged uh, RBD palm. But for me, it it, it, it kind of just speaks to the, the greater issue of why of these products commodities. Mm. And and I guess that's that's the question because the moment they're commodities, they are priced in very particular ways, which are sometimes because, very far from the people who are consuming it. Yes, because. Like, there's been massive street projects in Indonesia 
but a high, uh, high, high seed prices. And you sort of incentivize producers because capitalism incentivizes anyone to go for who's going to pay you the most ultimately. Mm. And it creates predatory environments. You had situations where they had um, arrests of trade officials. Now, this for me is... What was that of, trade official doing? Uh, the one that got arrested there in Indonesia. Um, and how is that linked to palm oil? Um, so what he did is that um, um, he sort of... Um, it, it's, a, it's a corruption case. So what he did is, he or she did, was um, they, they sort of limited trade and it was, they sort of acted as a way of, of propping up the prices. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Now, now, now the other question that I have is they're saying here that the ban only, I guess, applies to a processed type of palm oil, but the crude mm. stuff can still be exported. Why is the market, I guess, looking at that so favorably? Because the other one is, um, um, which, uh, so, okay, let, let me just go into the technical process. Let me not, okay, let me go into the technical process. So, um, RPD Pomelo, so the, 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 the one that they've banned is the bulk and packaged, uh, mm. which is a higher value product, which is more processed. Sure. Um, the raw product they still will be allowing, and it is it is not a the raw product they'll still be allowing. So it can be processed somewhere else. It doesn't necessarily have to be processed in Indonesia. Mm, okay. Like beneficiation, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. So it will still allow um, to, to be used because um, you can even refine it to at least and deodorize palm oil um, and. It, it's using cooking oil and industri- industrial fine is the word. Um, and like I said before, it is one of the issues of why our food products using daily life are commodities. And I, I fundamentally disagree with that. Yeah. Because with the increase, like it, it, it literally impacts, the reason why the government had to do something was because when ordinary people can't afford basic food, we're hitting the same direction ourselves here in South East, but well, we're already there. Mm. Where people can't afford basic products because it's commodities. And, you can't, and again, remember, capitalism rewards whoever can take to sign the check. Hey, yeah. Snesipo, let's shift away from that one and uh, head into the clothing sector. Fashini put out a uh, update earlier on today for the 12 months ending 31 March 2022 and also I guess uh, said a few words in that update about uh, the floods uh, out in Guazulu Natal. Firstly what did you make I guess of um, how on the earnings front they've performed and uh, I guess the impact of some of their new acquisitions uh, but also I guess uh, some of their comments on uh, the floods out in Guazulu Natal and the impact on their operations. Yeah so Obviously, they reduced the trading. They, the Pushini Group released a trading update saying that earnings they're looking at more than double from last year's reportable period. So, two are main things. Number one, the prior year in 2020 had about just over had a, had an impairment, which is no longer going to, which is not prevalent in this year's numbers. Number one, which I think um, uh, then you also they uh, they also had uh, they had like a. Uh, a 2.7 billion rand in payment. They've also acquired uh, a few uh, stores 
uh, specifically, you know, they did the jet transaction, and um, they were able to do, there was a gain on the acquisition of about $109 million. Um, they, although the civil unrest, which is also part of the reporting period, did impact them, they weren't as highly impacted um, as the impact as maybe your likes of your mass mods, which I think were hurt more. And yeah, they've, um, they, they, they're looking to do a very strong result. Um, I think because of, I, I count two things, the acquisition of Jade, you're going to see, we're going to start seeing the benefits come through very nicely. And in terms of the flood situation, they've said that uh, um, they are assessing where they are, and um, their claims are most likely to be insurance claims, so they'll get their money from the insurance. And they're sort of working together with cross stakeholders to sort of uh, chart a way of, chart a pathway of recovery. And I think that's also quite very, 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 very important. Mm. Uh, yeah, they are looking forward to training day when they release the, release the results. Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, if we uh, stay here, just in uh, the Fushini group, I mean, probably not affected uh, as much as many other industrials actors uh, have been affected. Uh, and I know a lot of people you know, think of them as a retail play, but indeed they do have some, you know, secondary industrial activities out in Guazul Natal um, and uh, saying a lot of what has been affected or disrupted, not really material to their operations. Mm. Then, Stesipo, Royal Bafukeng. Uh, now, one, pers- one group, I guess, that would have been watching quite closely, uh, the uh, update that came out from uh, Royal Bafokeng Platinum. Uh, this was their quarterly review and production report uh, for the three months ending 31 March and uh, seeing massive increases, yeah, double-digit increase in tonnage hoisted. Uh, and, of course, also in terms of what they've processed, also 8.7% increase there. Uh, and uh, also seeing, I guess, uh, a strong stockpile there, which is what is making them very attractive to two potential suitors and uh, just doesn't, I guess, uh, this particular bidding war, if I can call it that, uh, doesn't seem to be coming to a head. Uh, no, also, they had a very good positive trading update. I'm going to say there's two things. It could have been better if it wasn't for our dear SOE, Transnet, and ESCOP. It could have been better. So those two things. Because they're affected by the limitation in terms of, from a freight perspective, in terms of how much they can possibly ship out. And we all know the disruption that it is from. And we're in a commodity pricing of platinum. So, firstly, structurally, the results could have been better. And I think that I was, I think we need to say it out loud. Number one. Number two, um, they've had, so they've had, um, few things happen, which is, They've had a massive uh, um, increase in the volume, and as well, there's also been an, in a, a, a disproportional increase in their cost. Mm. And that is also because I think we discussed it a few months ago in terms of, you know, when you talk about global shipping, the price of global shipping has more than doubled, tripled in some cases. So because of the shipping, that's also they've had an increase in labor and operating costs uh, in above. I think one of the words I think um, was made in the same announcement is that it was, it was an above-average increase in inflation, producer inflation, because of all the increasing costs. And we all know they're also going to be hit by the uh, by they're also hit by the petrol price increase, just like everybody else. Uh, so you've been you benefit in one stage, 
um, situations and then you hurt in another um, situation because although you had an 11% increase in your tonnage, you still had a 13% uh, increase in your cash operating costs, mm, mm. which tells you that the, the, the impact of inflation and um, the rising cost because majority of the time, mining is not a variable costing business. What I mean is that it's a predominantly fixed price business. It just shows you um, the level of variability that's been added by these above-line and increasing costs. And when you say above-line increase in costs, I mean, we know in the platinum sector wage negotiations have started. Um, that's something else yes. uh, on uh, the operational expenditure side that they might be thinking about. But what other cost drivers have, uh, I guess, uh, shipped... Well, moved in tandem with the price environment in the space because we do know certain PGMs or Platinum Group Metals have experienced some very, very favorable and positive price growth. Yeah, so you you actually you, um, put it this way, your labor, utilities, and stores. Those are your three major. So labor is not really that much of an increase because the negotiations have only started now. But your utilities and your stores, that's where it shows you the most. And that's where it's, it's literally cash cost increase. Um, they, they remember they're impacted by from a retail price, your shipping costs, but all these other auxiliary costs which usually don't go. The price increases are not tandem. They've increased so much so that it's actually impacted on their cash operating costs. I think that's one of the things that they were very quite clear about was that we're having we're um, we're feeling from a cash and. If you think about it from when we think about going wage union, you've got Sibanya, which they've been on um, track for just over a month now. What, what, for me, what is really concerning is that this is sort of going to play in the rhetoric that there's no money for uh, wage increases when we're in the best platinum price period. We're in a super commodity cycle. So it's, 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 uh, we'll see how the, um, how the, how the, how the, how the negotiations play out, but it's just something to be concerning about, consider. And then, I mean, I guess this, just before we let this one go, um, there's all manner of question marks around where we are in the price cycle. Now, a lot of people are saying, look, probably three or four years more of juice in the cycle in terms of an upswing in prices. Some people saying, look, we've already reached the peak. We, oh, we can only go down from here onwards. Your own reading? I mean, you've been following these things for a while. So, I don't think we're... Okay, we're, we're, we're I, the, the more applications, more development around the applications of PGM, the more I believe that we're going to be in it for a while, more than three years. So, my outlook is more on a 10-year outlook. So, and I'll tell you why I'm on a 10-year outlook. We're currently sitting in 2022. In 2030, you've had major European governments talk about reduction of emissions and the pursuit of electric vehicles. If you look literally at the market share now, which is sitting at less than 5%, the expectation that that's going to go to 30% by 2030 in certain European countries tells me that that's a multiple growth of six times. So it just shows... (laughs) That's why I think we're going to be in it for a while. And that's in the next eight years. Yeah. 
Slizibo, I want us to talk briefly. I mean, I guess a lot of reports coming out. I also saw a discussion uh, Carol Payton had with the um, uh, head of the Economic Transformation Committee of the uh, governing party, the ANC. Um, and uh, a lot of reports as well. Bloomberg came out with a similar one as well uh, of uh, d- discussion documents on economic transformation, which uh, I understand were discussed yesterday or are still being discussed. Not sure if the ANC meeting is still happening. Uh, but um, that being said, I mean, what do you make of what these reports have read into them? Because I guess they haven't been released to the public for all to see. But uh, suffice to say that some, I guess, in the financial media are reading that this means the ANC is shifting more in a direction that's saying, you know, let's give more space to private industry, more space to the marketplace. Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, so, uh, it's something really groundbreaking in those reports. So, we've got two things, but... Oh, was born in this report? No, I saw the article. There's nothing groundbreaking <laughs> that's been sure. said. There's nothing groundbreaking. But you can also see policies speaking to action. You've had mm. government sell their stake to SAA. You've had Transnet go on um, RFI, RFP projects for private pace to take over some of their rail and to search with CapEx. So for me, you've got those um, policies uh, policy into action mode. And what, for me, one of the things that I think that private participation is one thing, but what we need to focus on is more emphasis and more deliberate policy on a small business. Because for me, that is what's going to change the unemployment growth because what do we need on that front, Nesipo? I mean, is it just about paying people on time? Where do we, let me finish. Let me finish. Is it just about paying pe- more people on time? Is it about procurement? Is it about giving people early stage finance? Where are we missing it? Procurement. So let me just, um, so it, it, it always boils down to procurement. Majority, you've got to procure from entities that are in the zero to five million range the under 5 million range. You've got to direct your procurement there. You cannot allow them to have 5% of the project. There is an obsession with big capital projects, not understanding that big capital projects require big balance sheets. What you need, you need to be in the business of procuring from small business because procuring from small business solves the funding issue because once people can only fund when you have customers. That is for me. So fundamentally, and I, and I don't see that thinking. Um, and the reason why I don't see that thinking is that if you look at the current crop of um, leaders, specifically within the economic cluster of um, the ruling party, um, they are all from the 1990s school of thought of uh, country development, and they haven't evolved beyond thinking of how you deal with structural issues in 2022. And that is the dream. I suppose there's nothing groundbreaking, um, and, which is a shame in itself because I feel that we could do so much more. And mm. it is incredibly disappointing that the school of 1990, they're all going to be dead. They're making decisions and they're not going to live to see them, the consequence of their decisions. You know what's so interesting, Stacey, about what you, what you just said, just as we wrap up, is that it seems to me the scale of the challenge is becoming much messier, much more interwoven, much more intractable, seemingly intractable, and difficult to grapple with. Uh, But as you say, the ideas 
it's not like there's any unique or novel ideas. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly not persuaded that the issue is just better execution of old ideas. I, I agree with you. I think uh, we do need a, a significant paradigm shift. But uh, it just seems that in some way, you know, times, and maybe it's a generational thing, hey, you know, Abandabadala, uh, sometimes are very wedded to their own ways, you know. So, it, 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 for me, it, it's lack of imagination. It's literally lack of imagination. Yeah, like I call them the 1990s school of thought. Um, there's nothing you can learn from there. They That's don't know how to. Yeah. We all are very good at diagnosing the issue. What is missing is understanding that these all, all these solutions that they're saying are all solutions from the 1980s, like I said, 1980s, 1990s, school of thought. I learned that stuff in Economics 101. I still remember it, and I've seen that it does not work. Mm. It's and uh, yeah, I guess uh, many people might uh, share or differ with your sentiments there insofar as uh, the uh, paradigm within which we think of our economic problems and also the potential solutions is concerned. Uh, and uh, we'll probably be hearing a lot more. I certainly hope we can get an opportunity to speak to the head of economic transformation uh, in the uh, African National Congress, the governing party there, Mamaluko Kubai Ngubane, uh, to uh, hear and get a sense of some of the thinking. I mean, I, I don't think she would be part of uh, what I would call the 90s cohort. But uh, yeah, it would be great to uh, check in there and get a sense of what the thinking and ideas are, uh, especially, I guess, in this phase as uh, we trudge along towards 2030, which was that milestone there in the National Development Plan. Simakla uh, Sindauni insofar as what we said we wanted in 2012. When you think earrings, think studics. Why? Because studics is...